right, well, uh, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Drones for Good uh, podcast. Uh, my name's Andrew Crow. I'm the host of the podcast, and today, uh, really lucky to have Greg Tyrrell here. Greg is the Executive Director of uh, AUS. How are you, Greg? Good? G'day, Andrew. Good to be here, mate. How, uh, how are you going with all the, uh, the COVID stuff? Are you staying fit and healthy down in Melbourne? We are staying fit and healthy down in Melbourne, although we're in a really cold spell at the moment, but... Um Working from home is actually helping me a bit. I'm getting a bit more exercise than normal. That, that's the main thing, isn't it? We've yeah. had a cold spell hit up here. I've got a jumper on in Brisbane. It's crazy. Yeah. It's just not right. Hey, um, so today, uh, hopefully some of our audience are, are well aware of our US, but I, I suggest there's probably a few that aren't. And so I just wanted to get you on to talk about um, our US, you know, the importance of the organisation and what you guys do for the drone industry. Um, where, you know, we at Merrigan are obviously big fans of our US and, and like what you do. So hopefully we can um, sort of go through a few parts of the organisation today, if that's cool with you. That'd be great, mate. Awesome. Hey, so first I want to hear about you though. So, um, you know, we met probably a year, 18 months, two years ago, um, well, a year ago, actually, a year ago back um, when I first started at Merrigan. But how did you end up at AUS? How did Greg Tyrrell become the executive director at AUS? What's your background? Oh, it's, a, it's a really long story, Andrew, but um, <laughs> trying to summarise really quickly, um, I started in industry in 1995 uh, with a company called Aerosond here in Melbourne. Um, and was with that company for the best part of 17 years. Um, so a uh, long history in industry. And, and during that journey, um, AAUS were formed and I was um, part of that initial uh, foundation uh, board, if you like, of AAUS. And um, about 20, end of 2011, I left um, Aerosol and left industry for a few years. Um, bought a caravan and we travelled around Australia with the kids uh, for, for a year or so. and. Um, uh, did some consulting work, and uh, I was lucky. Um, I was lucky to get back into industry, and, and really thankful to the, the former executive director, actually Peggy McTavish, um, who had been in the role for um, for a number of years and, and done uh, a lot of the early hard work of getting an organisation up and running. Um, and she was changing roles, and um, she contacted me and. Um, uh, got me back involved and, and you know, one one thing turned into another and the, the board finished up um, putting me on um, the middle of 2014. Oh, cool. And uh, and it's probably worth pointing out Peggy's um, still on the board of AUS today. Yeah, she is. Um, and she's been a, a, an amazing uh, person for our industry um, and has done a lot of work, hard work for, for our industry um, over, you know, over a decade now. Hey, uh, I want to hit on something... Um, Briefly, you just brought up then. So, 1995, you were running around doing drone stuff. Um, you've obviously yep. seen the industry change a fair bit. What were you doing in 95 with drones? <laughs> well, Aerosom was established, um, a lot of people might not know the, the background there, with um, working in collaboration with the Institute Group. Um, so, at the time, uh, the Institute Group was, um, was owned and led by a guy called Tad McGear. And um, Andy, Andy von Flotow was floating around yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and these guys are brilliant engineers, um, unbelievable engineers. And uh, um, it was also the period where, you know, we started to see things like GPS and miniaturisation of processes, microprocessors, and, and uh, you know, they saw the ability to put together um, small unmanned systems um, back then. Um, but they had no real uh, application to put it through and... Um, uh, at the time, uh, there was an Australian meteorolo 
just by the name of uh, Dr. Greg Holland, who worked here at the Bureau of Met. And uh, he had an application. He wanted to uh, fly um, cheaper aircraft into hurricanes and, and tropical cyclones for weather reconnaissance. Um, he was paying something like $10,000 per flight hour for manned aircraft to do the same job and was hoping to do it with robotic aircraft that were expendable and at a much cheaper rate. Um, so those two got together and um, Aeroson was formed, the aircraft and systems were formed and, and I was lucky enough to just be standing in the right place at the right time and Greg Holland was looking for someone here in Australia um, and, and was put on as part of the foundation team uh, back then. A lot of our early work was um, uh, travelling the globe actually and, and flying the Aerosond pretty much over ocean into severe weather um, uh, in remote, the remotest areas you can think of. Um, and that, that's what, you know, drones were really good for um, is that, you know, the dull, dirty, dangerous aspect of drones uh, where you don't really want to put manned aircraft and where, where the, it made economic sense to fly them. So for, for many years, for the best part of the 17 years, I, I travelled with Aerosond doing that role, flying many, many hours, you know, of, uh, of reconnaissance missions in, in weather, in bad weather, um, highlighting in, in a couple of flights into hurricanes off the, off the uh, North American coast, east coast, um, one in 2007 and, and the second one in 2009, which were pretty much highlights uh, for us back then. Yeah, right. So uh, 1995 through to, through to now, so that's not a bad little history. And um, it's a bit of a small world. I met Tad Nandy when I was over in uh, over in the States doing my in-situ scan eagle training before I deployed to Afghanistan with the, with the team and um, had a few beers with those guys in Jimmy's Bar at Three Rivers Grill in Hood River and um, had a ball. They were, they, were, they were a good bunch of guys. Absolutely, they are. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, let's let's come back to AUS. Given uh, given we could talk about other stuff all day, and maybe there's another podcast in that. So tell yeah. me about um, tell me about AUS. So uh, first of all, people probably don't know what it stands for. So why don't you, you sort of give us the background and, and what it's all about? Yeah, sure. So AAUS stands for the Australian Association for Unmanned Systems, and we're we're a not for profit industry association, um, and our representation model is is to cover you know the broad area of unmanned systems uh, here in Australia. So that, that covers the domains of air, uh, land and sea. Um, although it's fair to say that the majority of our membership is in the air domain or the drone domain. Um, yeah, so we're industry association. We, we currently have just over 2,300 members um, from a really broad um, array of areas um, from, you know, hobbyists and interested parties in drone technology um, through to the sort of large defence companies uh, like Northrop Grumman or General Atomics um, uh, and everyone in between, um, including insurers, QBE, Telstra, um, any, anyone in, in the uh, ecosystem um, is a welcome member of AAUS and anyone who wants to, you know, be part of that community um, should look, have a look at AAUS um, so we're very broad in our membership um, and reasonably broad in, in what we're trying to achieve. Great. So, um, so why are you guys important, though? So what, what do you actually sort of do? I know there's, there's a couple of other bodies out there that, that call themselves, um, you know, drone industry bodies. Why AUS? Yep. Well, I guess, um, you know, what, 
the reason you set up an industry association is to is to provide a single voice for industry, um, where you, where you try and provide a vehicle for people to come together, um, form ideas, um, form areas where where industry needs to prioritise, um, and and try and get positive outcomes for all of industry. Um, so you're right, there is, there is a couple of others out there. Well, one in particular, um, ACUO um, and ourselves are, are in there pretty much doing a lot of very similar things. Um, um, one day we might come together, who knows? Um, but we, we're slightly um, a little bit broader than ACUO in, in terms of our membership. Um, ACUO represents certified uh, users or certified operators. Um, we're sort of certainly broader than that and cover cover the whole spectrum of, of the ecosystem. Um, I mean, associations are very important for that, for that single voice. Um, if you have a look at, you know, our main objective is, is to promote a professional, safe and commercial viable unmanned systems industry. If you have a look into our constitution, it's pretty dry reading, but it talks about <laughs> things such as, um, you know, furthering the advancement of unmanned systems in Australia and the surrounding industry to encourage the advancement of technology associated with unmanned systems, to promote education of the membership and those directly associated with, um, with drones and of the general public as well. Um, also to broaden professional relationships um, and to, you know, also recognise um, and award honours uh, to individuals who are doing a great, great jobs in, in our industry. Um, so um, there's lots of aspects to it. Um, representation is probably the thing I would say we, um, we're here for and, um, and that advocacy work um, to try and enable industry moving forward. And it's probably um, timely you mentioned that advocacy work, you know, on behalf of the industry. And I only read today that you guys have submitted um, a submission as part of the Royal Commission into the uh, Natural uh, Disaster Arrangement piece. Yes. Um, what other type of um, what other types of submissions have you made, or what types of things have you been involved in on, on behalf of industry? We get ourselves involved in pretty much anything our membership wants us to, um, and so at at the um, association level, we we often form little working groups um, that could be ongoing and and sort of um, broad spectrum, uh, broad scope, or well, they can be. Uh, quite narrow in scope and and short lived and and you were on one recently um, that we put together um, around drone noise and policy around drone noise as an example. So we get together to discuss anything that impacts our our industry and that is a highly evolving landscape as you know at the moment. Uh, long, longer term, you know the the battle for for industry has been. On a number of fronts. Um, first one is safe access to airspace. Um, so we've been involved um, quite deeply with um, in that regard. So starting with the Department of Infrastructure, Transport, uh, Regional Development and Communications at a policy level, uh, we we go and visit uh, those guys uh, quite a bit and and get a feel for where they're going and and what ways we can um, contribute to their development of policy. Uh, we work closely with CASA. Um, again, we meet with CASA quite a lot, and and you know, anytime they've got a internal working groups in in areas uh, for regulatory development um, around 
ARPAS, uh, we get ourselves involved and we form our own position on where we think um, our membership wants us to uh, represent. Um, so we get involved in a lot of the working groups with CASA um, and also Air Service Australia and the, uh, and the ATSB. Um, so we, we, we get involved in all of those. So examples there with, uh, with Air Services, they have a, the, Astra, um, the Astra Council um, that looks at you know, airspace management um, and, and includes um, the airlines and other parts of aviation in discussion. Um, so we're involved at that level as well. Um, so access to airspace is probably the thing that is of interest to everyone um, in the drone industry, and we continue to, to work hard there. We probably spend most of our time there. We also, yeah, you go. I was going to say, we also engage with, um, with the end users. Um, mm -hmm. So obviously trying to, to be that conduit between um, end users um, and, and industry to uh, you know, to help both parties um, move forward with unmanned systems, and, and the, the classic example of that, of course, is is our relationship with with the Defence Force, um, Australian Defence Force, and um, I know Kieran Joyce spoke about that in, in one of your recent podcasts. That we have pretty good relationship with the Australian Defence Force, and at all of our um, defence uh, events, which we probably about half our events are. Defence focus. Um, all of the uh, program managers for the different um, different arms of defence come along and, and speak about their unmanned systems programs uh, with the with the end game of engagement with with industry. Um, so that's one of the other areas which uh, we spend uh, quite a bit of time in. So how do you how do you make sure that um, that you're representing the views of of the the industry so you know definitely within the drone industry but we see it in other industries where industry bodies don't necessarily seem to represent the the views of the people they're meant to be representing how do you make sure you kind of keep your feet on the ground and and in touch with the with the with the people you're advocating for that's a really good question um and it's something that um we, we have battled with from time to time um and for me it's driven at our strategic level uh, by our board so, you know, depending pretty much where you finish up focusing as association is sort of driven by your board. Um, and um, AAUS is good in one respect that um, our board are voted in by our membership um, yearly. Um, and everyone who gets voted in gets a two-year term, um, but uh, half the board comes up for re-election every year. Um, so the hope we have there is that... Um, Two things: we, we get a, a good turnover of, of membership in on our board who are coming. And is it is it a big board? How many have you got on the board? It's a massive board. Um, <laughs> it is uh, fifteen people um, on our board at the moment, um, and they're all in you know enthusiastic and supportive, and uh, they do what they do for for industry. Uh, free of charge, um, invest a lot of time and effort in, into what they do uh, on behalf of the association. So, you know, from, from my perspective, it's unbelievable. And, you know, we've got a board of 15 and we've got um, myself and, and Sally Burt, who is our membership and events uh, manager, who are the, the two paid employees of the association. Um, but we're, we're so fortunate to have um, such a fantastic board um, that provides so much support to us. Um, 
in, in addition to our membership. So it's, um, it makes, makes our task and it, and it makes us look a lot bigger than what, than what we are. Um, but, but getting back to your question around the board, um, there is a board of 15. Um, they do turn over quickly with, with voting from the membership and we do try and get um, diversity on our board from, from the perspective of where, um, what part of industry they represent. Um, also, uh, diversity um, from hopefully we can get some diversity from age as well. So, age and also male and female is, is what we're hoping to get moving forward. And I think if, if we're successful in, in getting that diversity of, um, of people into our board and diversity of thought, um, I think we'll be agile enough to move with the, um, with the rapidly evolving needs of our, of our industry. And you mentioned um, earlier, so I, I was part of the working group where we worked on the um, ARPAS noise working group and we as a working group of eight to ten sort of came up with a position and then I think the thing that, that I was most impressed about from the working group is we actually then sent that out to the membership before we then presented that to government as our, our position. So um, it, it seems as though you continuously want to make sure there is that representation of, of the whole industry, not just, you know, even, even a smaller working group. Yeah, no, that, that working group in particular worked really well, Andrew. Um, it's not always that easy. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the recent, um, the recent submission we made to the Bushfire uh, Royal Commission um, was one that we did pretty late in the day and we didn't get much um, opportunity to engage fully with our membership prior to it going out. So um, some things we do well and, and, and it, not always, though, is the case, but um, we do try and engage as often as we can and as, and as, you know, deeply with our membership to make sure that what we're saying is um, representative across um, the majority of our membership. Hey, you spoke about events. So we all love going to events and we love having a few beers with some friends and talking about drones and, and doing cool stuff. Um, you mentioned, I think, Pacific earlier. We were meant to, you know, last month or this month be it up has in the skies uh, in Canberra, but unfortunately COVID killed that off. Um, what are you guys doing for, you know, for that type of stuff and how are you innovating um, across the industry to make sure that we don't just lose a year, we can, we can still get together as, a, you know, as an industry? Yeah, look, it's something we really enjoy um, and I think it's something very, very beneficial are our face-to-face -face events. Um, and uh, obviously we won't be doing those for a little while. Um, uh, with, with the ARPAS and Australian Skies event, um, which was due to be held last month, actually uh, the end of March, um, we're now running that one from the 12th of May um, as a virtual event. So um, anyone who registered for that event now gets access to the virtual event um, and we'll be able to um, attend via our um, online platform for a period of a couple of months at least um, and interface and interact with the speakers, other delegates, um, look at recorded presentations as well as um, some of the live panel sessions which will run um, over the course of the, uh, of, the, of the next month. So we're hoping to achieve um, a lot of the same outcomes that we would have had. Um, unfortunately, we won't be face-to-face -face and a lot of the best um, discussions happen um, at those networking drink sessions or over dinner. So we come with all the good ideas. That's exactly right. So, you know, some of those aspects won't be there. And, and unfortunately, we had to cancel our gala dinner this year. Um, but um, 
a lot of the other discussion and a lot of the other information will still be there. Um, and we've got some really keynote uh, presenters uh, this year from, from the department with Simon Atkinson, who's the uh, Secretary of the Department of, of Infrastructure. We've got Shane Carmody, who's the um, CEO of CASA. Um, we've got Jason Harfield, who's the CEO of Air Services Australia. Um, also Greg Hood, who's the uh, Chief Commissioner with the ATSB. Um, and then we've got some really, um, uh, you know, really forward-leaning parts of industry also um, adding to the, uh, to the conversation um, as this event unrolls. So it, it, it'll be an interesting event, um, and I, I'm pretty sure that um, uh, the delegates will still get a fair bit out of it. Yeah, it sounds like it, and and it was sad the uh, the gala dinner was was cancelled, and I was uh, lucky enough. Although the last podcast I did, I actually interviewed um, Jonathan Roberts from uh, UAV Challenge, who took out the the leadership award. So, um, congratulations to to those guys on on what they've been doing um, over the last few years. Yeah, look, the, we were we were quite upset that the gala dinner had to be cancelled because that really was a highlight last year. Um, this was going to be the second one of those um, and, and the second time we've run, run the industry awards, um, which, you know, a really good thing because there's, there's so many parts of our industry that are doing unbelievably great things um, and we just want to draw attention to that um, and, um, you know, provide some small token of an award to, to those people and, you know, you're one of those people, Andrew, that, um, you know, we, we want to bring attention to that um, are doing great things for our industry. I did joke with Jonathan that I shouldn't have interviewed him, seeing as though he beat me in, in that award. But <laughs> I'm a bigger man than that, so I'm happy to still get on get on with it and make it happen. Hey, um, I've got a couple of pointed questions for you, um, for you, Greg. So, future of drones. What, what do you What do you think is the future of drones? You know, in Australia, and and I might go a step further with that. And do you think the the COVID debacle um, increases the ability for us to build our sovereign capability, or, or sort of decreases? Oh, look, I think the COVID background probably increases our um, what happens here in Australia um, just simply because we, we've got to um, pretty much start to rely on ourselves um, a lot more than what we probably do in a lot of areas. Um, I think, you know, different industries are looking at that right now is um, how vulnerable we, we might be in some areas where we, where we do really rely on international uh, supply chain um, or services for, for various things. So, there, yes, there is a massive opportunity for, for Australian industry to be strengthened by what's happening around COVID and, and the rethink that, um, that we have to have in terms of um, engaging, you know, these services and, and, and what sort of uh, sovereign capability we have here in Australia. And um, I know Defence have been looking at that for a while and, and Kieran Joyce has been a, a champion of... A, of um, sovereign capability and, and is funding a lot of development at the moment in, in defence. Um, but we're yet to see that across a lot of the civil applications uh, for the drone applications. So hopefully uh, we'll see something positive come out of this in that respect. Um, as, as for the future of drones in, our, in, our, um, in Australia, I think we are still at a really immature level. Um, I think, um, and, and we have a long way to go. Um, but, you know, what, what we've seen, certainly in the time that I've been involved, is 
is us move from operating drones in, in the dull, dirty, dangerous areas where very sparse population and um, virtually no one in the air as well. Um, so, you know, relatively safe to operate. Um, you know, and, and defence has been a, is a good example of that um, and some of the, re the remote weather reconnaissance work that, that Aerosom did in the old days is, is examples of that. Um, but we're seeing now that um, the applications are moving towards the urban environment, um, which creates a whole lot of new challenges. Um, we're seeing uh, drone delivery services in place now here with, uh, with the wing, with what Wing are doing in, in Canberra and Brisbane. Um, so they're, they're leading the way in, in bringing drones to the urban environment and I think that'll continue to, to happen um, and we'll need technology to come in and, and make that safer um, in the form of, you know, uh, unmanned traffic management systems and the like um, and, uh, you know, the development of all these sort of technologies um, that will enable that to happen and, and hopefully... You know, as that goes forward, we'll see wider spread use of drones. Um, we'll see the ability for, you know, single operators to, to operate multiple drones, which will, which will improve the commercial viability. Um, we'll see drones uh, more often than not operating beyond visual line of sight because they can because we now have um, situational awareness uh, with these evolving technologies. Um, so all of these things will contribute to... Um, the expansion of, of the capability and, and what we're doing and and, and the, also the overall safety. Um, so, you know, the applications, who knows? Um, I'm, I'm always continue to be surprised and amazed by, by where they're being used. Um, <clears throat> and that's the beauty of them. I mean, at the end of the day, um, the systems are purely a tool. Um, so, you know, people come along, whether, whether they're in agriculture or surveying, and they can see the use of the drones and, and they know their areas better than, than we do as, as a drone industry. And they can see where the drones can be used as a tool. Um, and, you know, they're bringing, bringing them into all sorts of applications and, and that'll continue to grow. There's, I'm sure there's infinite applications for drone technology. And what are the barriers do you think there? Do you think uh, is it is it technology? Is it airspace? Is it legislation? Or is it just a matter of just maturing the industry and growing organically, as opposed to sort of forcing things? Well, oh, it's probably all of those things, Andrew. Um, <laughs> look, look. The I think safety of the use of them is is probably the big thing, particularly as we move to the urban environment, and. Um, so, and that's where the regulator gets involved, and right, rightfully so, um, and, and develops policy for the safe use of drones. Um, so, you know, there's, there's some hurdles there for us to overcome. At the end of the day, um, the public and, and social acceptance is the ultimate regulator. Um, and if we're dropping out of the sky, if we're trying to fly over urban areas and we're dropping out of the sky, then, you know, the acceptance there won't be high and, and, of course, the acceptance with the regulator won't be high either. Mm. So um, I think we need to continue to make um, our system safer, more reliable um, and more efficient. And, you know, as, as w the applications continue to grow and some of the applications will become so important to us that... Um, we accept a certain amount of risk, um, and, and that might be around things like emergency services or delivery of, of um, 
of medicines and things like that um, that might be so important that uh, you know the public will tolerate a certain amount of risk. Um, and I think that balance we'll, we'll just need to keep walking as as we go forward. And um, but you know, obviously, we won't get access to the airspace um, until we're safe. And that was something we all spoke about as part of the noise uh, working group too. You know, what would it be? Would be someone more likely to tolerate a drone carrying a, a defib, or more likely to carry a drone carrying, you know, um, package delivery or something? So I think that'll come as you know, as as um, as options come and, and we move forward and we mature. Um, so why join people that aren't members of AUS? Why why should they join AUS? Well, I mean, a lot of people have different motivations for joining AAUS. Um, but um, you know, it depends on what what you what you're after. Um, some of the some of the uh, organisations who are members um, are happy to have um, a single voice in the in the industry to represent them. Um, they also contribute to that voice and and uh, want want to be heard at at different levels. So you know, they're interested in our representation and our advocacy efforts. Uh, other members might be interested in, in events and networking and the ability to to meet with other um, you know professional uh, people in our industry. Um, so um, we provide that that you know vehicle as well through through our networking events and, and other events. Um, other people might be disinterested in in uh, information. Um, so there, there's a lot of reasons. Um, we also offer insurance discounts as well. So um, uh, QBE and, and some other insurers um, offer discounts for ARUS members. So, you know, it could be as simple as that. So there's a, there's a large uh, group of areas that uh, people um, might think about when they, when they join a, an association like ours. So it's sort of focused on, you know, what, what are your motivations? And, and I'm sure there's something there that ARUS can help with. Absolutely. Absolutely, and look, Andrew, we, we continue to evolve, um, and and what we offer is continuing to evolve. And um, you know, we we might not have appealed to someone um, two years ago. Um, we, we might add something in the next year or so that that makes sense for someone to uh, to want to join. So, uh, someone wants to join, or or even current members who want to be more involved, how can they do that? How, what should they What should they be doing? Oh, look, we, we welcome input um, and we've got a lot of our working groups up and running um, this year and we continue to out, uh, unroll them or roll them out, um, I should say, uh, all of the time. And, and the beauty of what we're finding is that, um, you know, we've got champions within our membership who are keen to run with certain areas. Um, you know, at the moment we have a, an ARPAS chemical applications working group that's uh, chaired by Joe McMahon um, and, and has a number of interested parties who are looking at uh, aerial application from drones um, that want to move uh, that, you know, that application forward, particularly from the regulatory sense. Um, so they're all self-motivated to, to move in that direction. So we've given them the vehicle to do that. We'll support it, and and then we'll represent them um, in, in what positions they take uh, moving forward. So um, these sort of bodies or these working groups within the association are forming all the time, and um, so it's a really powerful thing. Um, and you know, you know, myself and other board members, we we don't necessarily have to um, be part of these working groups um, for them to happen, which which can often slow them down. So. Um, 
there's lots of really good initiatives up and running. Um, if you're looking at joining and you're, and you're not a member, um, you can do that a number of ways. You can go to our website, which is aaus.org.au, and you can join through that. Um, or you can simply uh, give myself or Sally Burt, um, shoot us an email, um, and uh, uh, we, we can help with, with you uh, becoming a member as well. So there's lots of ways you can become a member, um, and there's lots of ways you can become involved. Um, and, you know, if you really want to, you can join our board um, or you can nominate to get on our board, which, um, which as I mentioned earlier, happens every year. Um, awesome. And I think that's uh, there's one important part there that I, I just heard you mention, who is Sally, who, who is the, the Energizer Bunny in the background of, of AUS. So I think uh, all members appreciate the work she does. So, uh, so thank you, Sally, from, um, from, from all the members as well. Hey, Greg, we might, uh, we might wrap up uh, there. We're sort of hitting that 30-minute mark. Hey, thanks so much uh, for taking the time today. I'd, I'd like to make uh, engagement with AUS, you know, during this podcast a, a regular thing, you know, not necessarily just a, a one-off thing. So maybe next time we can talk about some of those working groups as you build your positions or, or just different, you know, different parts or even talk to some of the working groups around what they're thinking and, and what they're doing if, um, if you'd be happy to do that. Of course, Andrew, we'd be delighted to, uh, to continue to do that. Awesome. Well, ladies and gents, hopefully uh, you've enjoyed the episode uh, today with uh, Greg from AUS. Again, Greg, thanks very much. Thanks for the work that AUS does. It's, it's good to see you in photos out the front of Parliament House and, and doing things with our, uh, our leaders. So we, we certainly thank you. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Andrew.